everybody. This is Philip Palumbo. I'm the host of the Palumbo Podcast. We're going to interview some of the most successful money managers, economists, and market strategists. Today we have with us Mark Pentopoulos of VistaPoint Capital. Mark has 27 years experience in the healthcare industry. He owned his own pharmaceutical company called Katana Pharmaceutical, where he focused on neonatal therapeutics. Mark currently runs his own hedge fund, and it's focused exclusively on the healthcare industry. So we're we're looking forward to getting his insights and perspectives and what he feels the future of healthcare looks like. So, Mark, thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, great. So, Mark, I want to start with first your your background. Can you share with us how you get into the healthcare field? Yeah, sure. So, I uh, you know have an undergraduate degree in molecular biology and uh, was really always interested in biology and how it translated into human health. And uh, but. But at the same time, as much as I, I really loved learning about it, I didn't I didn't particularly care for lab work. So um, I decided uh, after college to go into kind of the business side of healthcare, and so I uh, started uh, with investment banking and uh, did that for uh, a number of years before I moved to the investing side. So I've always had a real interest in healthcare. Um, you know, it's deep in my family as well. You know, one of my sisters is a doctor and uh, my dad was in the orthopedic industry for a long time. So it was just kind of in, in my family and, and just had a real interest in it. So um, it, I was just kind of drawn to it. And, uh, you know, over time, I, I uh, you know, um, have seen the, the banking side of things. I've uh, done operational work, founded a biotech company. I've been on the investing side. So I've seen kind of many different facets of of the healthcare field. And, uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm just very focused now on the investing side. I think it's a really compelling time to be looking at, at healthcare from an investing standpoint. So, um, you know, that's why, you know, I'm really excited to to speak with you and also to um, get out, get the word out on on the fund and, and what I'm doing. That, that's terrific. So, so Mark, I want to talk about, which I thought was, you know, phenomenal when you told me about it was Katana Pharmaceuticals. Can you tell me about what you were doing there, what you achieved there uh, when you owned Katana? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, you know, there's a huge opiate epidemic um, in, in the country. Right. And it's it's very unfortunate. But um, one of the things that's not really talked about so much is that there are a number of babies born addicted uh, every year. And it's a very, very expensive proposition for the states. Um, usually these babies end up in the NICU for weeks on end because they're withdrawing from opiates, essentially. And so they have a lot of issues around developmental disorders. They, you know, you know, you hear the stories of people going through withdrawal from opiates and how severe it is. Now, just imagine that for a neonate. Right. I mean, it's it's actually horrifying what happens. And um, we had been doing some work, me and my partner on the project had been doing some work for another company. And um, he had some experience in, in using um, this peptide oxytocin to attenuate the withdrawal um, symptoms of uh, people going through withdrawal from various drugs. Um, we decided to give it a try and see how it would look like uh, in, in the neonate setting, given that it's a very safe and well-characterized peptide. And we saw some very dramatic responses. So we, we got some intellectual property around it, uh, formed kind of the process for developing the drug and getting it through the um, through the FDA. And then we sold it off to another entity so that they could do the final development work and commercialize the product. So uh, it was you know, a very interesting um, experience for me because I learned a lot about uh, development of novel IP um, and, and a lot of regulatory work that's required to actually get drugs through the clinic as well as the manufacturing. So things that you don't necessarily think about a lot 
uh, when you're looking at stocks, for instance. But there's a lot of underlying things that go on with a biotech company that are, are very complex, and you really have to understand them if you're able to fully kind of validate and vet a company that you're looking at from an investment standpoint. So, Mark, these biotech companies, pharmaceutical companies, when it go, when it comes to getting drugs approved, is it really that difficult? Um, it is difficult, uh, and and the reason it is difficult is because you have to demonstrate that it's safe and effective, and that you can manufacture it. Uh, under uh, you know good manufacturing processes and get it to the market in a safe and effective way. Uh, so it is actually quite difficult. You have to run many studies to demonstrate the safety of it. Then you have to demonstrate the efficacy of it. Then you have to demonstrate that you can produce it in a safe manner and that it's stable, um, you know, for some period of time. And then you have to. Uh, you know, ship it and ma- manufacture it and ship it to to the doctors and make sure that it's been used correctly by doctors. So it's it's certainly a um, it's certainly complex, which is also why once a product is approved, it usually ends up being um, very uh, lucrative for uh, from an investment standpoint because there's uh, it's it's not so easy for competitors to ju- just to jump in. You can't just quickly make a, a knockoff of a drug and get it to the market. There's there's a lot that goes into that. So, um, you know, I, um, I, I kind of view the sector as, as one which is there's a lot of challenges up front, but once you are successful, then there's a lot of reward on the back end. So when we, when we say safety, right, when, when, when the FDA uses the word safety, you use the word safety, right? How does the FDA define safety? Does it mean that I, I, I utilize a certain medication to fix a problem and as long as I don't die, that's considered safety? But because we all do know that when you take certain drugs, it can affect some other some other aspect of your of your body, whatever that means, sure. an organ, sure. right? So, so help sure. me understand safety. What, what do they mean by that? Sure. So the first level of safety is is what are called animal tox like toxicology studies. So basically, what they do is they will give it uh, to animals over a period of time. You know, if if it's if it's a drug that you're going to just use once in a while. Um, then, you know, it's going to be a short toxicology program. If it's a drug that you're going to be taking once a day, every day for the rest of your life, then there's a different kind of toxicology program that you have to run. Really what the FDA wants to understand is, you know, does it, does it hurt you? Um, you know, does it cause cancer in the long run if you use it for a long time? Um, if, a, uh, if a mother is taking it, would it affect her, you know, fetus at all? So th- these are the types of things the FDA wants to understand before they'll even let you try it in the clinic. And then once they try it in the clinic, then you're going to look at, you know, what are the adverse events? You know, does it cause headache? Does it cause uh, palpitations of the heart? Does it does it cause, uh, you know, cancer down the road? Things like that. So the FDA really wants to understand what the risk reward of a drug presents, right? So if it's going to help you, um, then the question is, what are the adverse events? And as long as the reward is much, you know, greater than the the, the potential for adverse events, usually the FDA will let it through. And also the FDA thinks about the indication. If you have terminal cancer, they're going to be much more tolerant of the side effects than if you are just being treated for, say, you know, migraine or something like that. Right. So again, it's it's really kind of a process that the FDA goes through to try to evaluate what is the benefit of the drug and what are the risks of the drug and make sure that the risk benefit is appropriate for that specific drug. So that's really what the, the FDA goes through in their process around safety. 
So the risk reward is—is is it black and white? Like, does the FDA have a, a notebook and that with, with with tabs in it that says risk reward of certain drugs, or is it just ad hoc? It's it's a bit of both, really. Um, so they're going to, um, you know, for for certain, you know, uh, indications where there's a number of drugs already on the market, they may say, okay, you know, this is the parameters by which we would, you know, accept a drug in terms of its safety profile. If, for instance, it's a brand new drug, like some orphan novel orphan disease where, you know, there's no drug on the market for it, the FDA is going to be more ad hoc because they're going to basically want to know from patients, from doctors, hey, you know, what's your experience? You know, I know there are these side effects with this drug, but it, on the whole, would you say the, pen, the patient's better off with this drug or worse off with this drug? And so, you know, it's a bit of both. So I, I think, uh, you know, with... With tried and true indications where there's a lot of drugs already approved, they're going to be very um, intolerant of side effects if it's a if it's an indication which does not kill you, and they're going to be more tolerant if it's something like cancer. But on new drugs and new indications, uh, they're going to be a little more ad hoc and, and get a little more feedback from that com- from that patient community as to what what would be acceptable. Is there a whole entire committee that approves each drug, or is it like one or two people? Within the FDA. Um, you know, the FDA has a number of committees, right? Um, so there's obviously, you know, the committee that focuses on neurological drugs and there's one that focuses on urological drugs and oncology and things like that. So so the FDA is split up into to many different groups. And, you know, the the approval really runs to the top of, of that group. But you have a lot of reviewers underneath that are looking at all aspects of the drug. And, and within the FDA, Although you may have a division that is focused on, you know, um, say oncology drugs, there's going to be within that a whole group that looks at the safety of the, of the of those oncology drugs that wants to monitor these oncology drugs as they get used. So there there are many layers within the FDA, even within each of these different divisions. And when it comes to the ingredients in these drugs, do most of these ingredients come from overseas? No, not necessarily. Um, some do, but some. Some are produced here in the U.S. I mean, the U.S. has a lot of manufacturing facilities around um, uh, biologics and, and small molecules. And I think over, as you've seen in the last, um, you know, few years, there's been a, a growing demand to kind of onshore uh, production of drugs, especially drugs that are critical. Like, you know, if you have all of your drugs of, that are antibiotic drugs being manufactured offshore, that could be a problem if there's global, you know, uh, conflict that restricts the amount of that drug that can be shipped to your country because of some sort of conflict. So I think the the, the country as a whole is is um, kind of re uh, kind of onshoring, uh, you know, a lot more drug manufacturing these days. Um, but but you still do see, you know, quite a few drugs that are still imported from other countries. So, Mark, you had this incredible background owning your own pharmaceutical company and, and other things like that in your in your past before your pharmaceutical company. How did you get into investing? Why did you get into investing? Well, um, it, it, it actually kind of I kind of fell into investing in the sense that I was in investment banking and um, and I was recruited by a fund uh, out in San Francisco uh, to come and help uh, to kind of start their healthcare effort. And uh, just, you know, had a, had a good uh, rapport with the owner of the firm. And, um, you know, he, he had wanted to, to do more in the space. But the space is a very esoteric space. There's a lot of complexities of, uh, with investing in the biotech space because it's 
not easy to understand. You know, we've talked about some of the safety aspects, the FDA aspects, the manufacturing aspects, things like that. So you you have all of that on top of the biology and how well does the drug work and what does the competitive landscape look like. So um, so I um, kind of uh, you know joined that firm to to kind of help kick those efforts off, and I just found it quite interesting. I mean, it, it's it's a fascinating uh, field and it's changing all the time. There's always new stuff coming up, so it's it's continually evolving, and um, just kind of really found uh, found myself very interested in the investing side of it, which is why you know I've I've spent a good chunk of my career um, you know looking at companies from an investor uh, perspective. A lot of people would look at investing in healthcare and biotech, where you're invested in this particular biotech company, and most of their future free cash flows is going to come from a potential drug breakthrough and approval by FDA. So investors would say, "Okay, Mark, you know you got a great track record." But there must be a lot of volatility because, you know, how do you get it right with a particular biotech company that you feel so sanguine that they're going to be able to get a particular drug approved? Is that part of a way that you make money in your fund? Yeah, I, definitely. Um, I, I think there are ways you can handicap uh, a drug, right? So you're never going to get it 100% right in this field, right? It's just, it's just it, there are things that kind of come out of left field. Um, there's been a um, um, a uh, an instance this earlier this week where over the weekend, uh, a drug that had been recently approved all of a sudden showed, uh, you know, some doctors presented on uh, some inflammation that people had not seen before with this drug. And it's an eye drug. So, you know, the last thing you want is a drug causing inflammation for, for that. So um, you're never going to get it 100% right because we're dealing with biology. And in many ways, we're dealing with novel biology, which means we don't fully understand everything just yet. But there are things you can do to handicap. I mean, obviously, the number one factor is the team. Is this a team that has a lot of experience in this area that really knows what they're doing that have had success in this area before. Um, what is the disease? Again, you know, we talked about safety. You know, if you're talking about a disease with no current treatments, the FDA is going to be more lenient. The 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 burden of proof is going to be lower um, if if this is a disease with no current therapies. Um, you know, what did the clinical data show? How is this manufactured? Is this easy to manufacture? Is it difficult to manufacture? So there are a number of factors you can look at to determine, you know, does this thing have a good shot at being approved? And um, I think if you really have a good core handle on those things, you'll get a right majority of the time. So as far as your discipline, tell me about your discipline to selection of, of these types of stocks. Sure. So, you know, the the the, the core kind of, you know, uh, features of these of these companies is you have to have uh, a good management team that really knows what they're doing. You have to have good science and good uh, and good biology, and your data has to you know show that um, you are uh, doing something in these patients that kind of ameliorate the symptoms of their disease. You have to look at companies where the product has a good opportunity uh, out there. You know, if you're uh, if you have a novel drug and there's a defined number of patients and you can charge a lot for that, you know, it was some sort of not orphan indication, then there's a, there's a good market there. If you've got a brand new novel migraine treatment that works in patients that, you know, nothing else works in, that's a good opportunity. If you're coming in as a, you know, lipid lowering drug against a lot of generic drugs out there, there's probably not much opportunity unless you can somehow 
treat patients that have already failed all of these drugs. So you've, you've got to make sure that there's a good market opportunity for the product, you know, once it does get approved. And then you have to look at the intellectual property and make sure that the product will have a, a good runway of being the, you know, protected product on the market. Uh, because, you know, as we said, you, you spend a lot of investment up front and then you want to reap the reward. You right. know, if you get to the market and you your product's going to come off patent after six or seven years, you know, you may not capture a lot of value in that short period of time. So you've got to look at all of these factors. And then you have to look at the valuation you're paying for the for the company. You know, if you're if you're, um, you know, if you think the, the company has a, you know, a, a billion dollar uh, product, um, but the, the valuation of the company is already $3 billion and you're not even through phase two yet, you know, your risk reward is not that great on that company. If, on the other hand, you find something that has a billion dollar potential and uh, the market cap is 200 million and they're close to market and they've got the team in place to, to, to develop this thing and, and launch it and they're well-funded, you know, it, it, it provides for a pretty interesting risk reward. So, um, you know, that's kind of my job is to try to, um, you know, be disciplined about the value uh, that I will pay for a company, assuming all those other factors that I just previously discussed are in place. Management is everything as it relates to when you own a, a stock of any great business or even if you own a private business, right? They lead everything, right? They set the tone and for, for the entire company. I mean, that's been proven day in and day out, right? Same, same thing as a coach of a major sports team or any type of athletic team. You know, they, they, they lead everything, right? They set the right. tone for everything. As an investor, how do you sniff out the bad ones? Well, a lot of it's just experience, right? So a lot of it is just having followed the industry for a long time and known the knowing the past track record of these folks, knowing who they used to work with. How can you diligence these people? Can you can do you know somebody that used to work with them that that can tell you a little bit about them? What does the board look like? How strong is that board? Is that board a board that's going to be willing to step in and make changes if things go wrong? Or are they, you know, buddies with the CEO and they're just going to kind of let the CEO kind of do whatever they want? You know, so these are some things you have to take into consideration. Um, you, you know, a lot of that is just experience, is just uh, meeting management teams many, many times over the years, watching what they do, what what is what's their background, who they work with before, things of that nature. And again, you're never going to get 100% right, but you want to do really good due diligence there because, as you said, they set the tone for things. Certain teams, they always, you know, set the wrong tone. And, you know, as an investor, you really don't make money in those companies. Uh, certain management teams, they, they, you know, bat 100%, right? They, everything they do, they, 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 they vet it. They're very careful about what they do and they typically have success with what they do. So, you know, you just have to kind of go through that process of, of, researching them and, and and finding out what their background is and, and how credible they are and then meeting with them and really understanding you know what is their what's how are they thinking about it and making sure that they're thinking um, on how they're gonna you know get their drug approved and get it to market aligns with kind of best practices in the industry you know other than that it's just a lot of legwork and and, and there's you know not no real magic to it it's just a you know a, a bit of uh, due diligence and a bit of kind of experience I think that, that really um, that matter there. Mark, can you give us an example where you were interested in a particular company, but then something you found out about management turned you off and you ended up being right? I mean, it happens a lot. And, uh, you know, one of the, 
one of the things I, I um, you know, I, I look at is, um, you, you know, typically when I don't like a management team, I'll just avoid the company. There's just no point in spending time on it because, you know, you, you kind of know where this is eventually going to end up. But it's also good to keep it on the radar because if one day you wake up and you see a press release that that management team has been placed um, and, uh, you know, then, then maybe if you liked what they had going on, but you just didn't like the management team, then, then maybe it's time to revisit that. So I, I would say that, um, you know, you know, there's, there's, there's quite a few teams that, you know, really, uh, I would say they're not really committed to shareholder value. And, you know, if you, if you really want to, uh, do a quick and dirty dive on them, you know, just go and look at a, uh, look at the, the stock price history of what that company did while that person was CEO. And right. that'll, that'll tell you, tell you a lot, quite a bit right there. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm not going to hold you to this number, but if you had to just throw out a number, right, as long as you've been doing this for, out of all the biotech companies, healthcare companies that are out there, right, you don't know all of them, you haven't researched all of them, but from all the companies you've worked with in this biotech space where you're looking to get drugs approved, et cetera, what percentage of the management teams are competent if you had to put a number out there? I would say no more than a third, no more than a third. Wow. Um, and that's, and that's that even may be a little bit high, but you know sometimes um, teams they will make mistakes, but then they will get it right. Um, and that's actually a, a very fertile area where to find research ideas is to is to find companies that have slipped up, but the management team can articulate what happened, why it happened, and what they're doing to you know remediate the the, the situation. Um, and you know, uh, you know, probably just a hand, you know, a, a small percentage of management teams kind of are able to get through that. Very few companies are just a blockbuster success out of the gate and uh, never have any issues and, and everything goes right all the time. Very few companies are like that. So it's really um, a lot of it is just to try to understand, you know, which companies can actually go through the tough times and, and see success on the other side. And I would say that probably no more than a third of management teams are, are capable of doing that. Oh, that's incredible. Mark, when you're looking at businesses and as far as patent protection, right? You mentioned it before. Is there a minimum yeah. patent protection period that you're looking for before you would invest? I would say, it, you know, it depends on where, it depends on where they are in the clinic. I would say you really want a minimum of 10 years on the market before any generic could come in. I mean, you really want that because you're gonna be growing your product in the first five years, right? And then the big cash flow kind of comes, you know, after year five. So I typically like at least 10 years, hopefully longer than that. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about valuation, which is my favorite thing to talk about, right? It's all about price you pay, whether it's real estate, whether it's other sectors within the stock market, um, private businesses, everything in life is, it's the price you pay is what you're going to get. You could have a great company, but the price isn't right. You could have a great company where the price is right, that's what we're interested in. In the biotech space, especially when companies are looking to get approved for various drugs, et cetera, and you're making predictions about free cash flow in the future of a particular drug that gets approved, how do you figure out valuation? How do you do valuation work? 
Yeah, it's not easy, but you you really have to look at, you know, what's the potential for the product? You know, what is what is that potential? You know, again, how much money is it going to take to get there, to get to that cash flow positive area? Or, you know, what is a buyer, what is an acquirer going to be willing to pay for that product, right? So that's when you're looking at kind of terminal value, you have to kind of think about those factors. And then when you're looking at market cap, you really want to be looking at enterprise value because you know if you're if you're talking about a company with five hundred million dollars that has a hundred million in cash that needs to raise another four hundred million to get this product, you know, to commercial success, that's very different than if you have a market cap of five hundred million with four hundred million dollars in uh, cash on the balance sheet with which only needs another hundred million dollars to get uh, the product to commercial success. So, you know, you you just have to look at kind of the enterprise value and then you want to make sure that, you know, the value you're paying uh, leaves a multiple of potential upside, um, you know, over say the next five years as this product uh, gets to the market. Um, I tend not to do very, very early biotech. I tend to come in once proof of concept in humans has been established. And that usually means kind of like post phase one, phase two. That's really, I think, where I will start to look. You know, before that, it's more of a science experiment. And I think that's more of a venture capital type um, right. of model. And um, I'm, I'm not that interested in that. I, I, I really like to focus uh, on companies where I've seen that the human data lines up with what the biology would have predicted. And um, that that's typically where I get involved. And that's typically means that your product is probably no more than five to six years from the market. I want to, I want to turn a little bit towards the actual sector measured by IBB, which is an exchange traded fund that essentially follows the biotech sector, right? Over the past three years, it's down nine S and P up 41% over the past five years. 10% up, S&P up 62%, right? So we all know the healthcare sector, the biotech sector really hasn't performed well relative to the S&P. What's going on within the sector? Well, lately it's been interest rates. A lot of that is interest rates. So I mean, so- So, Why, the higher so, what, the, so what is it about? Yeah, what is it about interest rates? Well, so so interest rates, kind of two factors. One is, you know, uh, as you said, these are cash flows down the road. So you're look. So if you look at a discount rate on dis on discounted future cash flows, and your weighted average cost of capital goes from you know three percent to ten percent, you know that that's a that's a big change in the discount, right? Uh, so that that's that's part of it. Also, as uh, pharma companies are thinking about their cost of capital, right? It's 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 very different if they're borrowing to uh, fund an acquisition at three percent interest rates versus ten percent interest rates, right? So so again, I, I think you know interest rates really do matter. Um, there was a bubble that occurred in biotech in not so much the large cap biotechs but the small cap biotechs that kind of peaked in uh, early twenty twenty one. And you know what typically happens, and I, I've seen a, a couple bubbles in biotech in, in, in my career. You know, think there's kind of some new technology that comes along. Um, you know, it was like genomics 20 years ago, and 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 you know, it was kind of vaccine and RNA technology and gene editing. Um, you know, three years ago, and what happens is just as a flood of, of of new IPOs, which kind of sucks up all the liquidity in the sector. Many of these. You know, companies have no potential for for success, 
And even if they were all successful in getting the product to the market, the market wouldn't be a success because you'd have too many competitors in the market and pricing would be a, would be an issue. So, so uh, you know, we, we've seen this kind of cycle before um, and we're kind of digesting all these uh, small cap biotechs that went public. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, it's, there's been plenty of opportunity to do really well in the sector, but on the whole, as you've seen interest rates kind of creep up, as there's fewer and fewer diseases that don't have a good um, you know, solution to them, and as you've seen more and more competition from more startup companies as well as pharmaceuticals, um, you know, I think that that's kind of factored into um, you know, the, the, the underperformance of the sector as a whole. Um, what I like about the sector is that it's complex. And so even if the sector is stagnating on the whole, there are still opportunities to do really well on the sector based on the sector expertise. Of course, you know, large farms like like Merck and Pfizer, you know, they're, they're struggling. But Eli Lilly, especially with their, their breakthrough drug, you know, with the obesity, which is yep. meant to be as a diabetes drug. And you're seeing a lot of people now utilizing that drug to lose weight before we get into that. But like the uh, the larger pharmaceutical businesses, you, again, you think they're down mainly? Is it, is it because of their pipeline? Do you think not that they get into specific companies? I don't want to go there. I'm just saying sure. in general, you know, the larger farms seem to be underperforming. But isn't that a great opportunity, Mark? As we think about them going forward, because of the amount of cash flow they generate, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Yeah, I, I think it bodes well for M and A in the in the biotech sector. Yes. Um, so, so you have uh, kind of two factors. One, you have a lot of patent expirations on big drugs. Right. And that's kind of kicking in now. And I think that that kind of peaks in the 2028, 2029 timeframe. There's there's a lot of really large blockbusters that are coming off patent um, over the next few years. In addition, you've had, you know, concerns about the, the, you know, Inflation Reduction Act, which has given provisions for Medicare to start to negotiate pricing on certain drugs. And of course, Medicare is going to want to negotiate pricing on the big drugs. So, you know, the, the question has become been like, okay, what is the future of these blockbusters? And how long can these big pharma companies milk these blockbuster drugs? And I think that that has weighed on the sector. Of course, you've had some uh, by some pharma companies do really well, those that have had the weight loss drugs, because that's a it's a huge opportunity. And these drugs are very effective. So you've seen some real success there with with a few companies, as you mentioned, like Lilly and and uh, Novo Nordisk, but but other companies have, have really struggled, and that's because of their patent cliff, as well as concerns about this IRA. Because remember, this IRA allows for an increasing number of of uh, drugs which Medicare can negotiate on over time. Right. And so there is concern that you know in ten years time, you know any any time you have a blockbuster. You're going to have seven or eight years before the before CMS comes in and starts to negotiate hard on pricing, and um, so that's going to create a lot of headwind for pharmaceutical companies, no doubt about it. Um, uh, you could would, 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 would you would you be an investor in these pharmaceutical companies at these levels at their valuations? You know, it's it's never an area I really focus on. I mean, I, I think um, you know, I, I think you know, companies like Lilly have the the you know don't have a lot of uh, risk because a lot of their pipeline and their products are very fresh, but they're also the largest pharmaceutical company in the world now by market cap. So so there's there's not a lot of really great opportunity in the pharma space right now. Uh, from my perspective, you may see some movement back into pharma if if we look like we may have some sort of recessionary pressure ahead, you know, because they're typically seen as a defensive area. But 
on the whole, I don't see a lot of huge opportunity in the pharma sector right now. I don't know, Mark, how much research you've done into this. And if you didn't, it's it's not a problem. The weight loss drug by Lilly, right? It's taken mm-hmm. the, the the world by storm. Yep. It's something that it's, it helps with diabetic and people who have pre-diabetes. And once you start to take this, ingest this drug, you know, you tend to lose weight and it tends to stay off as long as you take this drug. But then there's been yep. a lot of talk about emergency room visits as a result of the drug, kidney failure, et cetera. You have a view about this drug and, and what's going on with it? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I think that um, I think they are very effective. Um, we know that you lose a lot of fat quickly with these, right. but we also know that you lose some muscle mass with these as well. Right. So um, that that you know presents its own issues, right? When you lose muscle mass, and so I, and and that we don't know the long term safety on these, right? I mean, it's um, you know that that's a question mark that's still kind of needs to kind of, you know, be answered. I mean, remember the old Fenfen drug, right, for weight loss yes, that was you know, right. from, I mean, that, that was on the market for a while before they started to realize, okay, there's some real issues right. here, right? So we just don't know right now. I, I think the, the you know, so far, it looks like the side effect profile is manageable, but, you know, I, I just wouldn't want to predict 10 years from now, 15 years from now. I just, I just think that, you know, you don't really know until you have, many, many years of these drugs being on the market. You know, with, with, I think, you know, with, again, if it's, you know, if you're just dealing with a diabetic, right? Okay, they've got diabetes. Diabetes can become a very severe disease. It can become deadly if it's not treated. You know, that that's one thing. But if you're just talking about people that are like, hey, you know, I, I don't really feel like exercising and I eat too much, so I'm just going to take this drug um, as a kind of way of, of managing my weight, you know, again, the burden of side effect profile does start to creep in at some point in time if you're if you do start to see side effects in a patient population that you know is normally healthy it's just you know, it's just more lifestyle that that's that's been an issue with them so again let's see i i think i i don't think there's any drug that's ever like completely side effect profile free you know you're changing the biology of the drug and there's always a yin and yang to the body and, and to biology. That's right. So let's see. Um, yeah. But but you know, uh, I, I don't want to kind of make a verdict on these. I I, I think it's it, it time will tell. But there's always a risk that something will show up down the road. Mark, what attracted me to working with you as we spoke about was when ma- many people think about biotech and the biotech industry and portfolio managers, they think, oh, this manager is just going to invest in companies that are looking to get a drug passed through the FDA, right? When in fact, there are other ways to invest. In healthcare, in fact, we talked about your your fund being healthcare innovation would be the space, and there's three parts to that, right? There is the biotech approval of, of drugs. There's the medical devices and diagnostics, right? So there's three parts to what you look for in terms of how you manage money. Could you just talk about that briefly, if you don't mind? Yeah. So I think you know it does come down to innovation, right? It is, you know, what, 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 what is this company doing that's of great value to the system that is not being done currently? And, and, and do they have something underlying that's some sort of technology or product underlying that, that is enabling this? Um, and, and, you know, I, I do have companies that are commercial companies in the portfolio, but I also have companies that are, you know, in phase two development in, in the portfolio that, you know, you know, you know, may get bought even before they even get to the commercial uh, side of, of things. I think the, the you know, 
what what's important is um, always uh, you know to take into consideration is is how does this benefit the system in a cost effective way, right? That that's really kind of core to 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 my thinking on these things. And you know, what, again, that goes back to what is the what is the disease? What is the issue? Um, what's the you know um, what's the you know, uh, cost, if you will, of not treating it or not diagnosing it. And then how does this product come in and solve that issue in a way that's cost effective for the right. society? That's what it that's is. That's really the core the of one. how that's I the, think about things. That's and which makes total lot which obviously makes total logical sense, right? It's pretty it's complex, but it's simplistic in terms of how you have to think in terms of a specific disease, how how large and how many people have the disease. I mean unfortunately, Mark, and I think this is true, right? There are diseases out there that that are very, not minor, but that are, um, there's not a plethora of a particular disease out there, right? There's a small fragment of people that have a particular disease that's pretty much unknown, right? With no particular cure to it. And and drug companies won't focus on cures of those of those types of diseases because it's not really money to be made because not a large population of people have that particular disease. Although there are situations where you have diseases that you know, that are not so pronounced that there are companies out there trying to solve for that. So just, what does that look like in in your world? Yeah. So, so, so that, that is actually, it is actually an interesting area. Um, and, and especially if there's less than 250,000 patients in the U S that have that disease, because then it qualifies for orphan designation. And when you get orphan designation, you can actually charge a lot more for your product. So, so these do, these do provide for some interesting opportunity, especially if the patient population is is kind of very concentrated into a few centers. And the reason that that makes it interesting is, is if a small company is able to get it through the FDA, then they can actually commercialize it themselves because they don't need you know 3,000 salespeople. They can handle the market with a small sales force and uh, they, they only need to target, you know, let's say, 100 doctors around the country because those 100 doctors treat the majority of the patients with, with this condition. So um, I, I think, again, it, it is interesting um, if, 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 it's, if it requires a lot of work to identify these patients because the symptoms are very mild and, and nobody, you know, most of these patients are either under-diagnosed because nobody, nobody you know, uh, nobody complains a lot about their symptoms, then it's very different than if, Okay, no, this is a very severe patient population. They have real abnormalities, and they can't live a normal life, or they have high mortality. Then that, then that's actually a very different proposition. And I, I would tend to favor those types of diseases where they they are less than two hundred fifty thousand. There's a very severe, um, you know, uh, sim- the, the, these diseases have very very severe symptoms, and that the biology uh, is understood, and you can intervene with a drug. And almost normalize those patients. I mean, you know, if if you can, if you can do something very dramatic in these patients, then payers are willing to pay quite a lot for that. And um, those are very interesting opportunities. If you're barely moving the needle on the disease, or these patients aren't very severe, and there's kind of normal other drugs that doctors will just use to treat these patients, it's it's less interesting at that point in time. So again, looking at you know what is how many patients have it. And what can you charge for it to kind of build your model on the market opportunity is a key component of what I do. That's very interesting. And then last, last question, Mark, is what does the future of the healthcare industry look like in your eyes? Well, I think, um, you know, we need to figure out ways to cut costs. 
Um, so I think, you know, that the earlier diagnosis of products uh, of diseases is going to be critical to this. I think there is um, an understanding that, you know, certain diseases that are very severe that are caused by genetic abnormalities may be able to be fixed with a one-time treatment, whether that be gene editing or whether that be, um, you know, gene therapy. I think that's a fascinating area. And I think, uh, you know, that will kind of grow over time. And I think that, you know, the use of AI is really going to make an impact on um, on healthcare over time in the way that we design drugs and we, we segment patient populations and we um, get drugs approved. I think that over time, you're going to see drugs that are more and more tailored for certain specific patient populations. I think that movement is already underway and it's going to continue over time. And I think we're going to be able to develop drugs much more quicker in the future than we have in the past because we understand the biology and because we have the computing power now to, to really um, kind of quickly sub-segment the patients into those that will really benefit versus those that will not, and we'll be able to spot uh, side effects earlier on. Um, so all of these things will, will change over time. I think pricing pressures are coming uh, through, you know, through the IRA and through patent expirations, and that's going to drive, um, you know, you know, pharma and biotech to be more efficient in their way that they develop drugs. Um, so there's a lot of moving pieces right now. Um, but, but, you know, the biology and our understanding of biology is, is really rapidly evolving. And so I think it's a, it's a fascinating time to be involved in the space. And I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of change coming, but I think it is for the, for the benefit. And I think our drugs are just going to get better and better. And we're eventually going to end up with, you know, um, you know, cures, one-time cures, um, that, that's still kind of down the road a little bit, but, but we are going to head there. Excellent. Excellent. Mark, this has been excellent. Every time I talk to you, I always enjoy our conversations to learn about the healthcare industry. I find it fascinating. You know, we are super excited to have you as a strategic partner of the firm to assist us with our clients' money and investing in the proper stocks of great businesses that we believe will do very well as we think about the the world of healthcare and the innovativeness that we're going to see going forward. So we thank you for your efforts there. Yep. Well, thank you. I look forward to uh, you know working together and collaborating on this. I, I do think it's a, it's a fascinating area and uh, I'm excited to get this project going. All right, Mark. Thanks very much. I appreciate everything.